Okay, good luck. We are doing Sunday's portion of Parshas Vayechi, the last Parsha of the book of Precious of Genesis. So the first verse says, And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. And the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. So it's Jacob lived 17 years in Egypt, the last 17 years of his life. He came at 130, and he lived to 147. And 17 is the numerical value of good, because we were told these are the best years of Jacob's life, even though he was in the evil of Egypt, but being reunited with his son, being immersed in learning Torah, teaching Torah to his children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Even in Egypt, these were the best years of his life. So Rashi says, Rashi has a question, because this portion is very unusual, meaning the way, obviously, there are no punctuation marks in a true Sefer Torah, but the text of the Torah is divided into paragraph-like passages, which are separated from each other by a number of blank spaces. According to the tradition of the oral law, these opening words of this parsha of Yaakov lived only have one space, a space of a single letter, separating it from the words that preceded it. I mean, we don't have that same number of blank spaces to indicate a new passage. So Rashi is saying, why? And Rashi gives two answers. One, because once our forefather Jacob passed away, the eyes and hearts of the Jews were closed because of the suffering of the enslavement. Because after he passed away, the Egyptians began enslaving the Jewish people. In other words, breaks between passages are intended to provide a pause for contemplation. So here there's no break, because with the death of Jacob, the eyes and hearts of the Jews were closed. The change in their relationship with the Egyptians came so suddenly, they didn't have the time to pause and contemplate and realize the direction this was heading. Now, <laughs> we could question what, what Rashi is saying, because we know that the enslavement of the Jews did not actually begin until the last of the brothers passed away. Levi lived the longest, which is why his tribe stayed the holiest and most separate from the Egyptians, because he was around long enough to influence them the most. After he passed away, that's when the Egyptians felt safe to truly enslave the Jews, because as long as there was one of Joseph's brothers alive, they still they were still scared to start up. But here, in our Rashi, Rashi is saying that as soon as Jacob passed away, the Egyptians started enslaving the Jews. So the commentators explain that as soon as Jacob passed away, the Egyptians began trying to cajole the Jews into hard labor. There were a lot of um, enticements or pressures put on them to voluntarily work for the great nation of Egypt. But there was no forced enslavement until Levi passed away. The second explanation of Rashi is why is this passage closed? Because Jacob wanted to reveal to his sons when the Messiah, when the Mashiach would come, and it was closed off from him. In other words, he knew when it would come. He knew that ultimate secret. But God did not allow him to reveal it, and I mean, we could understand why, because we're now in the year 5,777. So could you imagine, now is the time of the coming of the Messiah, and the tribes were told that in a mere uh, 3,500 years away, the Messiah is going to come. That would be such disheartening, depressing news. 
So therefore, God did not allow Jacob to share this with the sons. The next verse says, The time approached for Israel to die, so he called for his son Joseph and said to him, Please, if <coughs> I found favor in your eyes, please lay your hand under my thigh and do kindness and truth with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt. So what does it mean, the time approached for him to die? That's an unusual expression. We don't see it by Abraham or Isaac. So Rashi says this term is used for someone who did not reach the age of his fathers, meaning Isaac lived 180 years and Jacob lived 147. So therefore, since he so fell short, so to speak, the years of his father, that's why this term is used. Just as Rashi says, we see the same thing with David. Before King David died, the same term is used because David lived 70 years. And his father, Yishai, who was a great, perfect saint, lived for a hundred years. And therefore, we have the same term by him. So he called to Joseph. So the question is, why did he call Joseph with this request? Because Joseph is the one who had the power to do this. In other words, he wanted, the reason why he's now calling Joseph is for Joseph to guarantee that he will make sure that Jacob is not buried in Egypt. And Joseph, of all the brothers, had that power. Because at this point, even though, of course, the Jews are not enslaved yet, <coughs> but still, Jacob understood that Pharaoh would probably want his body to stay in Egypt because Jacob had brought such blessings to Egypt. With the arrival of Jacob, the famine stopped. Pharaoh knew, everyone knew, the famine was supposed to last seven years. It only lasted two years. When Jacob came, the famine stopped. Jacob blessed Pharaoh, and then every time Pharaoh would come to the Nile, it would rise up to greet him and irrigate Mitzrayim, irrigate the land of Egypt. So the Egyptians had a lot of reverence for Jacob and a lot of awe of his godly powers, and they would want to keep him here in Egypt to continue to bring blessings to them. That's how they would understand things. So therefore he knew he needed a very strong power to ensure that he was going to get out. So he said, place your hand in this place because to swear to me well he hasn't placed his hand under his thigh again the idea of as we saw with Abraham swearing to me and do a kindness and a truth <coughs> a kindness and a truth is a kindness that people do for the dead why is that called a kindness and a truth it's a genuine kindness because if you're helping the dead you're not looking for any anything to happen for you. I mean, in other words, if you do someone a favor, maybe tomorrow, maybe in a week, maybe in a month, maybe in five years, they might be able to do you a favor. But if someone's dead, you're obviously not expecting anything in return. So that's why it's a kindness of truth, a genuine kindness. Don't bury me in Egypt. Why not? So Rashi gives three reasons why not. One, because in the plague of lice, the soil will turn to lice, and the lice will crawl beneath my body if I'm buried there. Two, I don't want to be buried outside of Israel because in the time of the resurrection of the dead, all of the dead that are outside Israel are going to roll through tunnels to come to the land of Israel. It will be tremendous pain. I don't want my body to go through that. And I don't want the Egyptians to make a deity of me. They have such reverence of me now. When I'm dead, it's much more likely they're going to serve me. I don't want that to happen. Next verse. And I will lie down with my fathers. <coughs> he shall transport me out of Egypt and bury me in their grave. So Rashi explains that this 
phrase is not part of the oath. Because we might think our lie down with my fathers is part of the oath that I want you to bury me in Marasa Machpelah, the cave of Machpelah, where my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, are buried with their wives. But that's not what he was saying. Our lie down with my fathers means I will pass away. So if he's saying I'll pass away, it's not a command to Joseph. So it's as if cutting in between this oath, which is in verse 29, and then he asks him to swear it in verse 31, is this expression of, I'm going to pass away, and this is what you need to do for me. Transport me out of Egypt and bury me in their grave. And Joseph said, I will do in accordance with your words. Then the next verse, Jacob says, swear to me. And Joseph swore to him. And Israel prostrated himself towards the, bed, towards the head of the bed. So <coughs> why did he bow at this point? So Rashi gives an expression when a fox is at his time of greatness bow to him, which wasn't mentioned in a derogatory way to Joseph, but an expression that means even the fox, which is considered quite lowly in the scheme of animals. But when he has the power, when it's a time of need that he can help, he is giving that honor. So at this moment here we have, if you will, so to speak, the lion, Jacob, the king, the head. So right now he needs Joseph, and therefore he's bowing to him. But why do he, if he's bowing to him, why did he say he bowed towards the head of the bed? So Rashi explains, because the Shekhinah, the divine presence, was by the head of his bed, which our sages say from here is a source that the Shekhinah, the divine presence, is at the head of, of one who is ill. So Jacob wants to bow to Joseph to give him this honor. But at the same time, it would seem inappropriate to bow in another direction because how could I be bowing in another direction than the place of God's presence? So he's turning towards the head of the bed because this is where God's presence is found, over the head of his bed. And he's bowing to give Joseph honor, but in the direction of God. So it's not that he's bowing to God. He was bowing to Joseph. But at the same time, it would be, so to speak, rude or inappropriate to be bowing to a person with God's presence there and not acknowledge God's presence. That's the first way Rashi explains this. The other way Rashi explains it is, no, he wasn't bowing to Joseph now at all. He was bowing to God, and he bowed towards the head of his bed because, again, that's where the presence of God was found in his room at that moment. Now, why was he bowing? Well, because of his bed. That's the implication in bowing towards the head of his bed, that his bed, meaning his children, were whole, were complete. There was no evil person in the bed among his descendants. Meaning, here's Joseph, who's been a king. Joseph was actually a king for 80 years, which would be a tremendous opportunity to become corrupt. And he became captive. Before he was a king, he was for years a slave and in prison. In many situations, which could have led someone to um, to lose their, their, their purity. But he didn't. So Jacob is bowing to God, thanking him for the high quality of his bed, for the high quality of his children. Okay, so now, in the next chapter, which is the next verse, this is now at a later point. <coughs> And it came to pass after these matters that he said to Joseph, Behold, your father is ill. And he, Joseph, took his two sons with him, Menashe and Ephraim. So he said to Joseph, we don't know who said it, it's a messenger. 
And this is sort of the way the verse uses, like sort of an abbreviated verse that is not explaining who said it because it wasn't really necessary. It's not really relevant. Some say the one who said it was actually Joseph's own son, Ephraim, which would explain why he ran to his father to tell him, because Ephraim was very often staying by Jacob and learning Torah from him. Remember, Jacob and all the Jewish people are in Goshen. Joseph, of course, he's the ruler. He's in Egypt proper. So Ephraim traveled from Goshen to Egypt to tell Joseph that, you know, Jacob's about to pass away. And he took his two sons with him. Why did he take his sons with him? Because he wanted Jacob to bless them before he died. Now, why did Joseph assume that uh, Jacob's about to die? Just that he got sick. Because until that time, there was no illness in the world. It says that actually Jacob prayed to become ill before he died, so he'd be certain to bless his children beforehand. So once he's ill, well, what's ill? People don't get ill. Oh, this must be a sign of impending death. Um, and the next verse. And he told to Jacob and said, Behold, your son Joseph has come to you. So Israel exerted himself and sat up on the bed. And he told the same idea. We don't know who it is. This is the same idea of this abbreviated wording of the verses in the scriptures. And now Jacob is exerting himself because he, he feels very sick but he's exerting himself to sit up in the bed. Why? Because he said, you know what, he's my son, but he's a king, and I have to give him honor. There's a concept that you have to give honor to royalty, and similarly, we see how Moses treated Pharaoh with honor. Even Pharaoh was so wicked. But when Moses talked to Pharaoh, instead of implying that Pharaoh is going to come running to him to get the Jews out of Egypt, which of course is what happened in the end, Moses said, your servants will do this to give Pharaoh honor. Why does he deserve honor? Because he's royalty. And we see similarly, another very extreme situation with Eliohanavi, with Elijah, that he ran before the king Ahab. And he ran with enthusiasm to give honor to Ahab. And again, Ahab was a very, very wicked king. So why is he giving him such honor? The prophet Elijah giving honor to this wicked, wicked person? He was the king. And you have to give honor to royalty. That's what God wants you to do. In other words, a king in this world is mirroring the idea of the kingship of God, and therefore, even though on a personal level, he doesn't deserve it at all, but for what he symbolizes, he deserves it. So Jacob says to Joseph, Kael Shakai, it's one of the names of God, appeared to me in Luz in the land of Canaan, and he blessed me. Next verse, he said to me, and God said to Jacob, Behold, I'll make you fruitful and numerous. I'll make you a congregation of peoples, and I will give this land to your offspring after you as an eternal holding. <coughs> God, at this point, Jacob is in Israel. All of his children have been born besides Benjamin. And God said to him, A nation and a congregation of nations will come from you. So what does that mean? A nation means another whole tribe, which happened because Benjamin was born and he's another whole nation, another whole tribe. But a congregation of nations implies like another two beyond that, which would seemingly mean that besides Benjamin, there'd be another two sons to be born to fulfill a congregation of nations, a nation, Benjamin, and a congregation implies more than one, a congregation of nations, another two. So you should have three more sons born. But he didn't have three more sons born. He had only one more son born. And he knew he was only going to have one more son born because he knew before he got married that he was destined to have 12 sons. That is, Rachel, as did Leah. They all knew he was going to have 12 tribes. 
So Benjamin is born, he's a nation. Who's the congregation of nations? Who are the other two? So Jacob understood that one of the tribes is going to split into two. He's going to have a special gift. Instead of being one tribe, they're going to be two. So this is a gift that God gave him to give to one of his sons. And he's saying, I am giving you this gift, meaning there are 12 sons. There should be 12 tribes. But there's 12 sons, but there's 13 tribes. Because Joseph's tribe, there's no tribe of Joseph. Joseph's tribe is split into two from his two eldest sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, that they each became a tribe in their own right. And this was a special gift that God gave Jacob, that Jacob gave Joseph. And now your two sons were born to you in Egypt before my coming to you, into Egypt. They are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine like Reuben and Shimon. Meaning, these were born during the period of time that I was separated from you, but they're mine. They're going to total among my sons to take portion in the land of Israel, just like all the other tribes. Meaning Ephraim and Manasseh are considered equal to the tribes of Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda. They're all equal tribes. They're no lesser. But your progeny who are born after them shall be yours. They'll be included in the names of their brothers with regards to the inheritance. Meaning, if you have any more children at this point, they're not other tribes. We're only giving you two, Ephraim and Manasseh. So they will be included in the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. They won't have, the, it won't be like they'll be the tribe of Ephraim, they'll be the tribe of Manasseh, and then they'll be the tribe of Joseph for all the rest of the kids. No. Any other children born are going to be part of the tribe of Ephraim and Manasseh. But as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died on me in the land of Canaan on the road. Well, there was still about a biras of land to go to Ephras, and I buried her there on the road to Ephras, which is Beis Lachem. So what's now happening? Why in the world is Jacob now talking suddenly about the death of Rachel? So Jacob knew that Joseph was very bothered, that his mother was, like, buried on the road. Not only is she not buried in the cave of Machpelah, she's not the wife buried with Jacob, Leah was, but she was literally buried on the road. She didn't even get to the town. And there wasn't so much distance from where she died till the town. And this, this, this always bothered Joseph. It seemed so disrespectful to his mother. And here is Jacob, who's in Egypt, and he's asking Joseph to do this enormous thing, Enormous meaning he'd have to really push Pharaoh very hard to get permission to get Jacob's body out of Egypt because truly the Egyptians did want him to stay there. They thought it was like a good luck talisman, like a charm, like a deity. They didn't want their mazel, their good energy from Jacob to leave Egypt. So Joseph had to push very hard to get his father's body out. And of course it was a tremendous ordeal and took much time and effort. And of course he was totally willing to go for his father, but like, his father just had to do this little thing, relatively speaking, I mean, truly little thing, continue on the road, and he could have buried his mother, at least in dignity, in, in, a, in a proper place. So my mother's buried on the road, and I'm going to do, and of course willingly do all this work for you to be buried back in Israel. So Jacob is saying, I know this bothers you. I know it's bothering you. I'm asking you to bury me back in Israel, and I didn't, take your mother to the next town to bury her. And it wasn't like we were so far. A bureau of land is 2,000 amas, which is, which is not so far. So 
So he's saying, I, it's not because it was so far. And he says, don't even think it was because the rains prevented me to take her to the next town, to Hebron, to bury her, because it was a dry season. The land was dry. It wasn't such a big deal to walk. The town was not so far. So why did I, I didn't even, not only did I not take her to Hebron, I didn't even take her to Beth Lachem, to there. Why did I do that? Why was I not giving your mother this honor? So Rashi says that Jacob explained that I want you to know I did it because of the word of God. She's buried on the road. I didn't take her all the way to Hebron. I didn't even take her to the town of Beit Lachem. She's buried on the road because in the future, <coughs> by the when the Babylonians destroy the temple, which on Sunday is when we, we mourn and fast in commemoration of the beginning of that destruction. So this is very timely. When the Babylonians will destroy the temple and the general would exile the Jews from Israel to Babylonia, the Jews are going to pass by through the, the road of, by way of Rachel's tomb, of Rachel's grave. And as they pass by, they're going to cry, and this is going to elicit Rachel to cry and beg to God to have mercy on her children. And because Rachel is the one asking, because Rachel had special merits, a special merit, as we've discussed, of giving the signs, the secret signs that Jacob gave her, that he would know this is truly his wife. She gave those signs to Leah that she shouldn't be embarrassed, which means she sort of sacrificed her husband so her sister shouldn't be embarrassed. With such a merit, Rachel is turning to God to have mercy on the Jewish people. So it wasn't because I couldn't be bothered. It was because this is ultimately the best thing for the Jewish people. And God himself told me to do this so that in the future, Rachel will be torn by the tears of her children to in turn pour her heart out to God for God to promise and quickly bring the Jews back from the Babylonian exile, as truly he did. And they were only in that exile for 70 years. And relatively speaking, it was a much easier exile than most of the other ones we've gone through.